It's here. It's game day. It's the Pacers regular season. Let's preview it by predicting some stat leaders, making a bold prediction, defining success, and looking at the opponent, the Washington Wizards tonight. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, it's game day. It's here. The Pacers are back. Regular season hoops tonight at 7, and the whole regular season begins today. We have a lot to talk about the Pacers regular season upcoming. I'm going to predict some stat leaders, make a bold prediction, define success, and of course, look at tonight's opponent, the Wizards. But really, the big picture stuff is what the regular season is all about because the Pacers are in an interesting spot. They want to be better. They want to make the playoffs. They're all talking like a team that wants to make it, but they are built like a team that is going to be good well off in the future and how those two things are balanced will be fascinating. So we'll get to all of that today. If you're watching on YouTube, got the jerseys up for the uh, get players, teams tonight. Um, looking forward to doing that as much as I can this season. I don't have a shirt for every team. So lots of work to do. But we have updates on the setup once again. It's exciting here in the East household. Also, I'm sad about the Phillies, but psyched that the NBA is back. Fun sports night, but also an emotional one for me. And now we talk about the Pacers. And I want to start with the successful season threshold for the Pacers this year. Because that kind of defines a lot of the discussion about the team. I think it's really interesting the way the Pacers, by me and by everybody, have been talked about this offseason because the decisions they have made, or at least the perceived decisions they have made for their rotation from the preseason, uh, from training camp, the way the Pacers are talking, everything suggests they would like to win. And if you've listened to this show for a long time, you know that I place actions over words every single time when trying to figure out what a team is doing, whether that's directionally, whether that's setting goals. And the Pacers operated this offseason more like a team trying to win than like a team playing for the long term, but they did a little bit of both, right? Signing Bruce Brown on its own, if that's all you said about the Pacers summer, signing Bruce Brown, that is a short-term move. That is a win Right this second, we want to be a better move. Trading for Obi Toppin is a little bit of both. And they made two first-round picks and added a bunch of young guys, which is a long-term move. And the contract they gave Bruce Brown is very flexible and tradable. And Obi Toppin's on an expiring contract and is a young player. So they still, despite making moves to clearly make the team better, played the long game a little bit this summer. And that's hard to do. They toe the line very well. And credit to the Pacers front office for that. And then Chad Buchanan said, yeah, we're thinking long-term, but we want to be better this year. And it's very hard to toe that line. It's doable, especially for a team that is still young and growing. Instead of being on the other side, they've already been good and they're trying to add young talent. But it's difficult. And it's going to be something that's really tricky for the Pacers this year. And so that is all context to say that their actions kind of suggest they're trying to do both. They want their successful season to be about long-term growth and player development and improvement and winning more games. And guess what? That is super possible. The Oklahoma City Thunder did it last year, right? That's why everybody's so psyched about the Thunder this year, it seems like, is because Shea got way better, Giddy got better, Jalen Williams was an awesome rookie, and they went 40-42 and and made the plan. Really exciting team, right, for lots of very good reasons. And I think the Pacers' hope 
is similar to a season like that. And so when I personally talk about defining success for the Pacers, I think there's two paths that could make this a successful season for the Pacers. One is, by the end of this season, a non-Tyrese Halliburton young player, at least one, potentially more, look great. Solid part of the core. Can't trade this guy, or at least not for a star, because this guy and Halliburton together can be a duo or trio or whatever, that makes the Pacers a second or a conference fi- second round or conference finals level team. The most likely guy, of course, is Ben Matherin there, who was fantastic last year, and I think his season is huge. This could be called the year of Ben Matherin. If you wanted, his fit with Halliburton, his skill growth in general, is so significant for the Pacers. If he proves he can fit with Halliburton, that's already a big year for him. If he can pass it better or shoot it better, that's a big year for him. If he can do both, that's a big year for him. And if he does all those things, he's going to be a great player for the Pacers. And that is also, at the same time, him trying to still be Ben Matherin, get to the foul line, be an efficient isolation score. Right? He's a, a significant piece there. But there's also Andrew Nemhard, and we'll talk about him on my bold prediction later. There's also potentially Jarris Walker. There's a bunch of young bigs. Obi Toppin is still only 25, right? There is a t- Aaron Neesmith is only 24. There's a ton of young talent that's going to play and could be the guy or a guy who takes a step forward and becomes significantly more meaningful. And so one path for success for the Pacers to me is, we already know Halliburton's a guy. He's an all-star. Maybe not the guy, but a guy. We'll see. But can they get some, is someone else in that tier or someone else on the path to be considered in that tier as a player? I think that would be one way to define the season as a success for the Pacers. If they make the play-in and don't make the playoffs, but they know they've got two dudes on their team, I think they would take that as a season. And then the other track is is maybe not the opposite, but the other direction of they are a top 7, 6, 5 team in the East, right? Halliburton sort of alluded to that on Tuesday's practice. He said, we want to make the playoffs this year. And I don't mean play-in. I mean, we want to be in the playoffs. And maybe that means make it through the play-in. Maybe that means he's saying they think they – would like to be a top six team, but that is still a, a goal for a lot of Pacers players. That has been said. Jarris Walker said it on this very podcast last week. Tyrus Halberton said it at the draft lottery. Jordan Wara said it when I talked to him at a fever game this season. TJ McConnell said it, I believe, at his exit interview. It's the goal for a lot of players on this team. Playoffs. They haven't been there in three years. Tyrese Halberton has never been there. He's tired of losing, he said. That was the phrasing he used. Buddy Heald has never been there. Obviously, Jairus Walker has never been there. They have some experienced guys. They have a champ- They have two champions on their team. They have guys who, have two other guys who have been to the finals, right? They have experienced guys, but they also have a lot of key players who don't have that experience, and that would be extremely valuable and a clear stepping stone for the team to go from 20-whatever wins two years ago, 25, two years ago, to 35 last year, to whatever it may be this season. I think both of those paths would be success. And uh, if both if they both happen at the same time, if someone takes a step forward and is a dude and they make the playoffs, and that's very possible because a young guy being a lot better would make it easier to make the playoffs, that's a slam dunk season for the Pacers. Now, a failure or at least a a wobbly season for the Pacers would be 35 to, to 38 wins, right? Barely better than last year. And that's all because Halliburton's still great and he maybe plays a little more, but they're like the 10th or 9th in the East. They lose in the plane in the first round. They don't get any clarity about their long-term core, right? They could call it a bridge year. They could say they got better. They still have resources to get better next year. But they'd be in a very similar spot next offseason to the one they were this year. And that is what you don't want. You don't want to be very similar contextually two summers in a row. Because that means something changed in a way that was poor for your team. And that was kind of what the Pacers were facing their 
the two summers prior to this one, uh, they hired Carlisle because they wanted to get better with a team they thought was good. And then they weren't. And so for about the next 15 months, they were in a very similar team building situation. And yeah, there was a lot that went into that. But they had a couple summers where it felt like they were just trying to figure out the piece or the move that could take them from a first round out to a not a first round out. And they never found it. And that obviously was an era that the Pacers wanted to go better. My bold prediction for this season that will tie into a successful season for the Pacers because I'm not good at bold predictions. I think people know that. I'm not very bold. I'm not very good at overreacting, which is what tomorrow's show is all about. Uh, My bold prediction for this season is that Andrew Nemhard is viewed as an X factor for the Pacers by the end of the season, both on a game-to-game basis and from a long-term core perspective. I think that he is such a smart player. He's already kind of good on both ends of the floor, and he has all the tools physically to be a pretty special guard in the NBA. I'm not saying he's going to be like a multi-time all-star or anything, but if you can defend like he can with your arms everywhere and being mobile and staying in front of ball handlers and make threes at a credible enough clip already, if that maintains or gets better, that's huge. He's been working with Jenny Buschick on his shot. If he can attack the rim just a hair better, one more dribble going towards the rim, already a good passer, right? That was the first standout skill to me about him in summer league as a rookie. He could make so many tight angle passes in the paint. If he can do all those things just a little better, maybe even a lot better, I think that he'll very quickly become a guy that the Pacers say, we've got to get him more minutes every game. This guy is is awesome. He fits next to everyone on our team, and he's a huge part of our core. And that would, one, make the team better, and two, make them happy about the development of their team and make their season successful. That is my bold prediction. Andrew Nemhard is considered an X-factor in the both short and long term by the end of this season. We'll see if I'm right. We will see if I'm right. Or if Andrew Nemhard can lead the Pacers in any number of stats. I want to predict who it's going to be for the Pacers in the most common statistical thresholds uh, as their leader this season in the second segment. Before we do that, though, I need to talk to you guys about the great people over at Prize Picks. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's Prize Picks. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. It's really simple to play. You just hop on Prize Picks. You can make your, your picks and submit your entry in less than a minute. They have quick withdrawals. It's easy. There's an enormous selection of players and stat types and sports that make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. For example, Saquon Barkley, more or less than 60 yards. Patrick Mahomes, more or less than two touchdowns. You just pick. That's it. Make your submittal. It's a blast. So go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use that code LockdownNBA, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for a first deposit match up to $100 at PrizePix. You deposit something 100 or less, they'll match it at PrizePix. So go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA. Use that code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100 at PrizePix Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Thank you, as always. For making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to any of our Locked On podcasts about the four NBA teams that made their debut on Tuesday night. The Nuggets, the Lakers, the Suns, and the Warriors. Congrats to the Suns and Nuggets on their first day victories. And congrats to Bruce Brown, who had to watch, unfortunately, but probably had a very fun and emotional night watching his prior teammates 
get their rings and be celebrated. He, we talked to him Tuesday, is excited for what he called his personal ceremony <laughs> next January, January 14th, when the Pacers go to Denver. Bruce Brown, key player for the Pacers this season. He'll get some love here in this coming segment as we're predicting the stat leaders for the Pacers in many different statistical categories for the coming season. Uh, and I'll do my record prediction uh, officially at the end, even though I've said it like a thousand times on the show this summer. The Pacers' leading scorer this year. This is a lot easier than I expected when I truly dove into this. It's going to be Tyrese Halliburton, I think. And I don't think that is necessarily a bold pick. Last year, uh, he was the leading scorer, the only guy over 20 points per game. The only guy over 18 points per game. He was three whole points per game ahead of Miles Turner. The reason I'm going to pick him to win easily is because I think he knows a little bit more now that he's the best player on the team and the engine of the offense and might, to the benefit of the team, this is going to sound like a word that's an insult, but it's not, to the benefit of the team, be a little more selfish. Just one more shot per game. It is often the best option for Tyrese Halliburton to create his own shot than to set up someone else, and I think that could take him to 22 points per game, 22 and a half if he can up his free throw rate at the same time, and then no one can catch him on the team in that way. Some guys could get close, but I think Halliburton's going to be the leader in scoring. I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think almost everybody would pick him. My top five in order would be Halliburton first, a little bit of a bold take here, Matherin second, Heald third, uh, and those two in that order mostly based on minutes. Uh, Turner was second last year at 18, but I think the addition of Toppin's going to change his role enough that he will be fourth and Toppin will be fifth. So uh, the starters, except instead of Bruce Brown being in the top five, it's Buddy Heald instead, although Bruce Brown could certainly have a nice scoring season playing next to Tyree Talbert. Leading assist man. Man, you guys will never guess who I pricked, picked <laughs> to win the Pacers assist crown this season. Uh, also Tyree Talbert, who almost doubled second place on the Pacers in assists per game last year, which was TJ McConnell. This is a per-game prediction, uh, I should point out. So guys who might only play like 30 to 50 games could still sneak into this, which is not relevant for my list, but it will be later. Uh, assists, Halliburton, I think is going to be first. My top five. It was really hard to pick second place. Uh, 0.8 assists per game separated McConnell and Nemhard last year. I think Nemhard's going to have the ball in his hand more, but McConnell's certainly going to be playing, it looks like, after his preseason. But the order I went with was Halliburton, Nemhard, McConnell, Bruce Brown fourth, because I think he's going to be the emergency point guard and a secondary creator a lot. And then in fifth, Buddy Heald is probably the fifth best distributor on this team. He got a sniff of that role in the preseason, and no one else is the level of passer of the top four guys. So the only other two players that I haven't said who averaged more than two assists per game last year were Heald and Wara. Uh, I think Matherin could definitely push Heald for fifth year, and it'd be great for the Pacers if he did. We'll just have to see if that sneaks out. But given the results of last year and how Heald was used in the preseason, I went with him fifth, although Matherin could certainly break up this party. Pacers leading rebound man this season. Uh, Miles Turner seems like the clear choice, unless Jalen Smith gets way more minutes than I'm expecting. Uh, even per minute, Turner was close to the team's leading rebounder last year. Smith was first, and then Turner right behind him. So those are going to be the top two to me. Top five per game rebounders for the pitchers this year, my guesses would be in order one, Miles Turner, two, drumroll, Obi Toppin, because this is per game stats, and I think Obi's going to play a lot more than any reserve front court player. I think per 36 or per one minute or per whatever, per possession, Jalen Smith will be the rebound king for this team, but he's not going to play as much as the starting front court. So I'll take Turner one, Toppin two, and then Jalen Smith 
in third. Matherin's going to be my fourth. He was a good rebounder last year. Best rebounding guard um, for the Pacers, certainly. Per 36 minutes, his rebounding numbers were pretty good, over five. And per game, his rebounding numbers were pretty solid. Sixth on the team at 4.1. He can certainly catch every other perimeter player on the team with a few more minutes. So Matherin, fourth. And then fifth, either Isaiah Jackson, depending on how much he actually plays, or Aaron Neesmith, who is a decent enough rebounder thanks to his athleticism on the perimeter. Leading steals man for the Pacers this year. I contemplated two guys, uh, and I think it's who everybody would be picking, and that is Tyrese Halberton and Bruce Brown. Halberton led the team in steals per game last year. Bruce Brown, a really great steals player, and it's both because he's a pest on the ball, which is what he's kind of known for defensively, and the also thing that I've talked about a lot is he's a really good off the ball on the weak side, right? He can just swoop in and get those steals. He's done a great job of that his whole career. He averaged uh, 1.6 Steals per 36 two seasons ago, 1.4 steals per 36 last year. Halliburton last year was uh, at 1.7. So Halliburton was my pick. Uh, was it going to be my pick at first? Excuse me. But then I thought about the roles that the Pacers starting five will have this year compared to last year. Brown's upped minutes. And I think Bruce Brown is going to barely take this crown. So leading steals man for me is Bruce Brown with the top five of Bruce Brown, Tyrese Halliburton, the pest, TJ McConnell third, Andrew Nemhard fourth, Buddy Heald or Aaron Neesmith fifth. I had trouble there. I think Heald's going to play a lot more, which will give him more chances. Not a lot more. I think Heald's going to play a bit more, which will give him more chances. But Neesmith's the better defender. But Neesmith is not like a steals defender, right? He's just like disruptive and up in your face and stuff like that. Last year, Buddy Heald averaged 1.2 steals per game. Neesmith only 0.8. So even with more even minutes, I don't know how that would shake out per 36 Heald was at 1.3 and Neesmith at 1.1. So that will be close. Uh, if you made me pick, I will pick Buddy Heald there in the same way that if you made me pick the last rebounding guy, I'm picking Aaron Neesmith. Leading blocks guy, uh, we can skip that answer. That's Miles Turner. <laughs> He's going to win that per game, certainly. He dominated that category last year for the Pacers per game. Uh, he was 0.8 ahead of Isaiah Jackson. Of course, minutes are a factor there. And no one else was above one, even. It was just those two guys above one. They are the clear top two this year, uh, except not, because Obi Toppin's in the mix now. And I don't know what Obi Toppin's block numbers are going to look like this year for the Pacers. I think it's going to be fascinating to see if he can be a blocks guy at all. He had a great block in the preseason, but it wasn't a block that's like a typical block. He blocked a three. That's hard to do. It's really hard to be a guy who can do that consistently. But at the same time, he's got the athleticism to be a threat in front of guys. If he can just stay in front of them, he ended the preseason though, only blocking 0.3 shots per game. So I don't think that uh, this is an easy choice because when Jackson plays, he's going to get his blocks, but Toppin's going to play more, so I am picking Obi Toppin for second in blocks, but I think Jackson's got a good shot at it if he plays enough. Smith fourth and fifth. We'll go with Aaron Neesmith because we had to pick somebody fifth, but we're already talking about a guy who's going to average about half a block per game. It's <laughs> Being the honor of being the fifth highest block guy on the Pacers this year is not an honor that will be talked about uh, in Legends <laughs> in the future. Uh, Two-point percentage and three-point percentage, the last two I want to do here. Two-point percentage, I'm picking Miles Turner. He dominated this last year. He finally had a little bit of a post-move game. Uh, he had that hook shot falling for him, and he just started dunking it around the rim. He got rid of those stupid little 
dump it into the basket plays that he would miss too often. He was at 64% on twos last year. Uh, the only uh, the next guy who played more than 50 games was Jalen Smith at 59.3. That's 4%. That's a big difference. I think Smith is the most likely guy who could catch Miles Turner, but I think Turner's going to win this one. Once again, I have Turner first, Smith second, Toppin third, uh, Isaiah Jackson fourth, and then a toughie at the end here. But I'm going with Halliburton fifth. He's a good finisher at the rim. He can get all the way there. McConnell with that fadeaway back in his game from eight feet away could sneak into this. Uh, but I don't think he will. And then three-point percentage, actually trickier than I thought. But I'm going with, of course, Buddy Heald. Last year, if you had told me before the season the winner would be McConnell, I'd have been stunned. But he was. Uh, but I'm going with Buddy Heald. He's got the resume <laughs> to get this pick every time. Uh, but they have four guys who could reasonably finish over 40% if McConnell can repeat. If not, they have three guys who should. Those are the top three. Buddy Heald first, Tyrese Halbert second, and Jordan Ward third. And then there's a couple guys who could get in the mix here. Neesmith with just a small uptick. He shot again over 50% his final year at Vanderbilt. Turner was at almost 38 last year. Nemhard, I think, will be a better shooter. And McConnell, of course, was over 44% last year. Gun to my head, you made me pick the final two after the 40% club at the top three. I am taking Aaron Neesmith and Miles Turner. But McConnell did a lot of work on the shot last year. He could be in there, uh, and a lot of guys could sneak up in there. Toppin, I just don't know uh, if he'll shoot enough to have a, a volume or a confidence from three. I'm just not really sure because he jumped it up to 34% last year. Maybe he has another leap in him. We'll see. It's hard to say. And then Bruce Brown is fine enough, 35 36% range. That could get him into the top five, but I think the guys I picked have a better chance of being there than him. And my final prediction on top of the stat leaders, Pacers record. If you listen to the schedule preview show, you know my number. If you listened to a couple episodes since then, you know my number. It was 39, but 39 wins was only for the 80 scheduled games. They also played two play, excuse me, playing uh, in-season tournament games that are not scheduled yet. They cannot be until the group play results are known. And if I think the Pacers are going to be 39 and 41, that's basically a 500 team. So my official win total prediction for the Pacers this year is 40. I think they're going to go 40 and 42. And that is close enough that I will shorthand all season say I predicted they'll be a 500 team. But then if they win 41 games, someone please hold me accountable and say that you did not predict they would win 41. You predicted they'd win 40 and were just lazy all season and said 500. We'll see if I'm right. If Hal Burton misses a lot of time, it's going to be tough. Um, but outside of health stuff, which every team, obviously, if their best player gets hurt, throw the projections out the window. We'll see where the Pacers shake out. They play the Wizards tonight to open the season, who had an interesting preseason they're a new look team they're going to try to shoot the ball a gazillion times via two players what's key in this game how can the Pacers win it we will talk about that to close out today's show thank you as always for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen Lockdown Diamondbacks so you can uh, make fun of me because my Phillies are out in the NLCS devastated uh, but the Diamondbacks are going to the World Series. Diamondbacks Rangers. Who had that before the season? 84-win team in the World Series. No one's here for baseball. Everyone's here for basketball. Pacers Wizards tonight. The jersey's hanging behind me. Sarunas Yasekevichis and John Wall. Neither of them are playing in this game. But there's going to be a lot of interesting guys playing in this game. Noteworthy. Can you believe this? Write this down. October 25th. Pacers have nobody on the injury report. Carlisle said, as of now, they're healthy. Last year, they were pretty healthy going into the season opener. And then Miles Turner rolled his ankle on uh, a Pacers person rebounding for him in warmups. Uh, <laughs> very funny in retrospect. It's not funny. He got hurt, but like just 
that whole day, everybody was texting me like they're already tanking and Terry Taylor suddenly starting. It was just a very weird day in my head. It was not funny in the moment, but looking back on it, I find some humor in it. Uh, healthy right now. So we'll see who their rotation is. We'll see who plays well and who doesn't and who plays with who. Wizards specifically, what are the keys to that sort of team? Well, something they did in the preseason that's going to be just absolutely tough to deal with is they shot the ball, man. They took the threes. Kyle Kuzma in his two games took five and a half threes per game and under half the game. He took played in under 22 minutes per game. Uh, they got nine threes per game in four games from Jordan Poole. He was getting them up. He was making them at about a league average club. Both those guys were. They got almost five threes a game from the newly extended Denny Avdia, who can really get them up on the perimeter. Gallinari took over three a game. Corey Kispert took almost six a game. Mike Muscala took four a game. Bilal Koulibaly in a billion minutes took two and a half per game. You get the gist. They were chucking up the threes, and that is, to me, smart to them, or smart of them, given what their team kind of is and, and what they're going to be, but also a good test for the Pacers new, we would like to defend the three-point line strategy. Wizards ended the preseason at uh, 38 and a half threes per game. So we'll see if the Pacers are able to limit those shots, right? That's going to be a nice test for them early. Something where Carlisle mentioned at practice, right? Muscala, Poole, and Kuzma were on fire in the Pacers, or the Pacers, the Wizards' final preseason game. So that the Pacers' new defensive scheme uh, will be tested in unique ways in this game. One being that, can they actually prevent a team that clearly wants to shoot and has gunners out there? Can they actually prevent that team from getting up the threes that they want for a whole game? And is it effective to the point that it forces them to take much worse shots, whether that's baiting them into mid-rangers or having them funnel into Miles Turner, whatever that may be, that is better than the opponent taking a three. Can the Pacers actually force those shots? Wizards a good test in that way. And, and in general, Jordan Poole is a good test of pick-and-roll defense. Who's going to have the ball a lot? He, Tyus Jones as well. Um, but you know these are going to be guys who are handling the ball and taking screens from Daniel Gafford, who is maybe the most underrated player in the NBA now. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's my, I watch too much of the Wizards for some reason take. But you know, those are not the easiest pick-and-rolls, but they're not the most difficult either. Maybe a good test for what the Pacers can expect from their new pick-and-roll coverage that they've explained this season, where they try to make sure they contain it with just two guys and it doesn't require more help than it needs or anything like that. Well, this is a good test for a pool is going to be trying to shoot. He attempted 15 shots per game in 22 minutes during the preseason, right? So when he's handling the ball, can they stop him? Can they prevent him from taking the shots he wants to get to? Kuzma took 13 shots a game in the preseason. He's another test for the Pacers, not because of anything schematically, but just because they've stunk containing him for the last couple of years. He's a big forward. He fits into this category of guy that the Pacers just cannot contain in recent seasons. They haven't had anyone with the right size or mobility to handle it. Neesmith's been their best option. Sabonis could defend the slower ones of them, like Giannis a few years ago. Giannis isn't slow, but you know Sabonis was their best option there. But they, in general, have really struggled with the bigger fours. Ananobi, Barnes, Hayward, um, Kuzma, all these types of players. The non-star group just kills them. They all have bigger nights than normal in the scoring department against the Pacers, and it's their defensive size that's been a problem. So does their new-look team and scheme help them against someone like that? I don't think Bruce Brown will guard Kyle Kuzma, but if he ever has to for a few possessions, is that actually something that can work? Can Toppin just do it the whole game? That would be a huge boost for the Pacers. Do they need to rely on someone else to do it? If their rotation looks like it's going to be what it was 
during the preseason. Do they have the size to do it besides Toppin? If Neesmith's the backup four again, they're going to be counting a lot on him. Or do they try to get Jarrison there if they need to? We'll learn a lot about how they plan on guarding those fours that have historically killed them from this game and via Kyle Kuzma. And another thing about this game, it's going to be a track meet. The Wizards like to run. The Pacers, of course, their whole identity is running. It's going to be fascinating to see if the Pacers, one, their transition defense looks good, and two, if their transition offense against a team that makes them huff and puff all game because they're flying up and down on the offensive end themselves can actually be an advantage to the Pacers because the Wizards can be tricky in that way. We'll see where it goes. So in general, some tough matchups for the Pacers. They're going to be really spread out. Uh, big, big Daniel Gafford guy myself, how he does for Washington will be telling, but also a guy that Miles Turner can do well against, but can they win that battle convincingly in the front court and down low? Lots of stuff we will learn about this Pacers team and really their rotation. We we have a pretty good sense now. I don't need to beat that drum for like the 100th podcast in a row, but this game will actually have normal minutes in a way that we didn't see in the preseason. So we'll learn a little more about the Pacers in that way as well. Um, we will continue to look at Pacers opponents in this way. Just one segment for probably the first, let's say, five games of the season when there's not a lot of data or convincing data on teams to really dive in with somebody else. But then starting maybe game six, somewhere between game six and ten, we'll start having um, experts on who cover that opposing team to get a little more info on what the Pacers could look like matching up with them and what the Pacers can learn from that team in general. Last year we talked a lot about what the Pacers can learn from all these teams from a team-building perspective. This year it'll be more about the actual basketball side, although the team-building, of course, will be a fascinating part of this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here. The regular season is arrived. No more talking about what-ifs. No more talking about who could and would or should. It's who is and who will and who will continue to do so. And what does it mean? And that sounded way cooler in my head than it actually came out. But that's okay. I'm excited. I don't have to talk about what-ifs anymore. I can talk about what's actually happening. And that starts tonight with Pacers-Wizards. You know I'll have all the coverage of the game tomorrow. Adam Friedman's back for our yearly overreactions to Game 1 podcast. Hopefully, for the first time in a couple of these, it could be Pacers win on opening night. Friday, we'll talk a little more about the game in a more rational way, per, per se, and talk a little bit about the Cavs. And then Saturday, probably a bonus show post-Cavs game, talking about what happened in Pacers-Cavs. It's the second game. I'll be in Cleveland by myself. Why not talk about the game that happened? So lots of fun stuff coming here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show and are as psyched for regular season hoops as me. It was great to have the NBA back tonight, although I watched a lot of baseball. But that is no longer a thing I will be doing because the Phillies are out. It's NBA time, it's Pacers time, and we'll have it all for you here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Thank you all a ton for listening today. Have a fantastic rest of your day. See you tomorrow.